Trying to ride pilot here. We just off of the heels of the NBA draft lottery. This is Tuesday night recording for uh, for you guys here on Wednesday morning. Taking a listen. We're doing this a little bit differently. We're going old school and we're running the three man weave. I can't. I can only speak for myself. I'm wearing traditional shorts that go down to the knees or a little bit below. Jim and Dave are a little bit more old school. They might be running with those John Stockton esque shorts while running the three man weave. Uh, how are you doing tonight, Dave? Hey, I only wear those kind of shorts on, a, on some kind of dare. So now I'm, I'm doing the full length shorts myself. And well, Jim, obviously we know you're you're running with the Stockton shorts, right? That's that's more your style. Oh, absolutely! I love the uh, high and tights. That's uh, right up my right right in my wheelhouse there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? We're we're talking about wheelhouses here, and NBA draft lottery happens, and there was a basketball game afterwards, I think, but. The draft lottery happens, and drum roll, please, the Phoenix Suns are drafting number 14 overall. We're not really shocked. I mean, it, it was what it was. It was a 98 and change percent chance to draft 14th overall. But in all seriousness, guys, you know, Jim first, and then we'll move over to Dave. Were you guys holding your breath a lot, a little? Were expectations a little bit too high for you guys when you saw the draft lottery room get revealed and the Phoenix Suns jersey was the only thing you can see on TV? Was that a sign that you guys were taking? No, I had no expectations going into it. Uh, where they ended up was exactly where I expected them to end up. I was pretty happy, actually, the way that the uh, lottery board revealed itself, though, because especially with the Lakers not moving up into that top three to give them a chance to get a, a franchise player up there, actually moving down a spot. And that's what the odds stay there. But part of me, even though... I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but there, there's a, a little part in the back of my, my head there that still kind of has those sneaking suspicions, I guess, that uh, sometimes the league sort of still has it in for me, the shadows and dark corners type of stuff. So I, I really don't buy into that stuff, but at the same time, if the Lakers had moved into the top three, then it wouldn't have surprised me, and I would have been like, yeah, I kind of saw that coming. So, But no, I, I think that the, the lottery, for the most part, played out the exactly kind of like I would have expected. I, I didn't see Cleveland getting the number one pick again for the third time in fourth years, but I guess we should just plan on giving it to them every year now. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Three out of the last four years. That, uh, you can't even script it better than that. If you, were, if you were doing a movie, they would laugh you out of the room. There's no way that could possibly happen. But here we go with the Cavaliers, with different management and everything, getting the third pick in the fourth in four years. Um, but otherwise, just as Jim said, it, it went according to plan, and uh, the Celtics and the Lakers did not jump up. Uh, the Sixers are slotted in the third position, and guess who they're expected to draft, according to DraftExpress.com? None other than Joel Embiid, who is yet another injured, very athletic center, just like Nerland's Noel that they got last year, so... It'd be great to have those guys as the as the twin broken towers on the front line of the Sixers, 
Um, but hey, if they both work out, they work out. And clearly, this is an early mock draft, so uh, who knows what will happen with the Sixers. Um, but definitely, uh, everything else went as planned. The Milwaukee Bucks, despite um, unintentionally tanking uh, at least the first half of the season, end up with the second pick, even though they had the worst record in the league. And the Sixers, even though they lost 26 consecutive games out of 82, 26 consecutive games, the Sixers still only had the second worst record in the league, and they finished with uh, the third pick in the draft thanks to the lottery. So things uh, do happen the way they should happen as far as karma. There's always one wild card, and it just so happens to be the Cavaliers. And here's the thing. like If Sam Presti had three number one overall picks in four years, two number four overall picks, they drafted 17th as well, last year and i think uh a 17th uh, a year or two before i mean it's it's an embarrassment of riches that they've kind of turned into an embarrassing situation when you consider yeah is Dion waiters a good player sure is tristan thompson and a you know an even better nba player absolutely and kyrie irving's a fringe star and then you got anthony bennett and you have some other players that aren't really producing as much tyler zeller sergey karasev it, it, kind of creating a unique situation there to where I feel for David Griffin. He's a former Phoenix Suns front office member. He was out here with Steve Kerr and a friend of the podcast, Amin Hassan, who's working for ESPN.com as one of their insiders. He was part of the, the crew out here that was putting together a good Phoenix Suns team. Now he's got to inherit, I don't want to call it a mess, but a unique situation where there's a lot of pieces that don't really click. It doesn't really mesh out there. Jim, uh, I'll, I'll start off with uh, you first here. How do you draft number one overall if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers, or do you consider moving out of that pick with the way that their roster is put together? They might consider moving out of that pick, especially depending on how things are going with Kyrie Irving and if they think that there's a way that they can be in a win-now situation that keeps him. Even right after the lottery, I joke that they could be in the running to give a number one for love and then pick up LeBron after he opts out and there's your big three in Cleveland. And that was a joke, but it opens up some of the kinds of opportunities that Cleveland actually does have in their situation with that number one overall pick. And even if they don't, it's, it's pretty easy for them to, to draft somebody like Wiggins and, and go that route. That's a pretty safe pick there. They're kind of safe from some ridicule in the short term, at least, based off of last year's draft being really weak at the top in the, the early going. They, they picked Anthony Bennett, and obviously he was a spectacular failure in his rookie season. But it's not like he got ridiculously outplayed by some of the people behind him. So you, you had Oladipo, who had a, had a pretty decent season, and MCW. But a lot of those picks right behind there, when Noel, uh, some of these guys either didn't play or, or, or didn't play much and, and didn't really impress. So that, that takes a little bit of the edge off of that. But like you mentioned, a couple of the other people, like Waiters, they haven't really panned out, and they just haven't seemed to be able to do a lot with what you would figure with those high picks, the number ones, the, the fours, all the stuff in the top five. and then coming into, you know, stumbling into this luck again that they would have managed to assemble some kind of, like you said, Sam Press, the Oklahoma City dynamic over there in Cleveland by now. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I, from my opinion, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers have to pick number one overall. 
and they have to take um, an Andrew Wiggins, I think. Uh, Jamar, Jamar Parker, yeah, possibly could be a small forward they could use as well. Uh, but otherwise, you know, the, uh, they they really have to pick the very best talent they possibly can. This is the best draft it's been since Kyrie Irving, since the Kyrie Irving draft, I think. So um, if they can do that, then they can flip their other pieces for more playable talent that uh, they can actually use now as veterans instead of having too, too many kids who never learned how to actually win games. So you flip, uh, you know, a couple of the guys that you drafted, Tristan Thompson and Tyler Zeller and Dion Waiters, and, and maybe you know, it's too early to flip Anthony Bennett, but certainly you start making some moves where other teams are picking up young talent and giving up a uh, veteran. Uh, you know, you might make a move with a team that uh, is giving up a deadly like the Suns were last year just to get some playable veteran talent. I know they picked up a little dang last year, but it was too late. They needed dang at the beginning of the year so you can go through training camp and set that winning culture. Uh, so really, I think Cleveland has a chance to do very, very well as a result of this. They've just never shown that they can. And uh, while everyone's saying David Griffin has a chance to be great and will probably will be great, and I hope he's great, uh, he has been in that front office these past three years. So he's been a part of these decisions that they've made in the draft that have been underwhelming. One thing that I, I want to bring up there with the, you know, you kind of have to draft an Andrew Wiggins, then we'll maybe take this to being a less Cleveland-focused uh, podcast and bring it back over here to the Valley for a moment. Really shameless plug. I'll admit it out loud. I apologize up front. I, I, I feel bad for doing this. But jump on over when you're done listening to this. I, I talked to Jonathan Charks of Real GM, one of their NBA dra- or NBA writers and covers the NBA draft overall with them. And me and him kind of talked about and kind of passed back and forth a real interesting theory on the podcast on NBADraftInsider.com about how Wiggins, he does solve some issues there and he covers some gaps, but how another player makes a lot more sense to maybe go number one overall and kind of bridge the gap between all those offensive players they drafted and a lot of those miscues and those holes that they have on that roster. So not to play you know mysterious to get you to go over there and listen to it, you're going to do it or you're not, but... Um, we definitely it, it was a unique theory. I think that it, it very well could happen. I love Wiggins at number one overall. He's been top on my board all year. Um, but definitely jump over there and take a listen to that if you want to hear maybe a different take on who could go number one outside of Wiggins and Parker because Parker makes absolutely zero sense on that roster the way it's kind of put together. Um, so let's talk Phoenix and Cleveland. We're going to make it a little bit more Phoenix. Jim, I know we're not necessarily looking at the rosters and how the pieces are put together. Does Phoenix have anything that could put them in a position to make a move to go up to number one? And if so, as the, the armchair general manager, would you do that? I don't really think so, especially with the Suns' strongest position being a point guard, and that's where Cleveland's already uh, firmly entrenched. That's their strongest position, too, even though Irving didn't kind of take that next step up to become a superstar in the league like I, I and many others thought he might last season. He's still right there on the doorstep, and, and that's a progression that, that could take place next season. The, I agree with what Dave said about Anthony Bennett. But I don't think they could get a pastrami sandwich for him right now. The, that would be a, a difficult trade partner. The Suns might have a, a better chance moving up uh, into at least the, the top five realm with somebody that actually has a need uh, at point guard, somebody that 
might be interested in in Bledsoe. The, the rest of the Suns' assets, the, the mid-first picks and some of their young talent, uh, Alex Lenn, Archie Goodwin, those guys are, are still really unproven and raw, and I don't think they're really that highly coveted. And then a bunch of the other Suns players that are on pretty decent contracts, you know, low-dollar value contracts, they're not in for many years, and they're more mid-range role-player type of talents. None of them uh, is really, you know, a premier talent where somebody's going to look at that and say, yeah, this is somebody that might take that next step and become an all-star type of player. None of those players have shown to have really that high of ceilings. And so I, I, don't, I don't really see the, the, the assets being there in terms of trading for one of those picks. That's kind of a, a hard sell for some of the teams down there because a lot of those teams are looking for that, that young star themselves and instead of trying to get better quick in terms of what the Suns could offer. What do you think with that, Dave? And to kind of piggyback off of what Jim said there, is it going to take giving up an Eric Bledsoe to maybe move into that one, two, and three range? And is that something that would even be worth it when you consider the way the roster is and, and the culture that's being turned around? Well, with the Suns, they certainly do need top-end talent. Uh, they do have Dragic and Bledsoe, who could be all-stars. And certainly Dragic played like an all-star this year. Uh, but both have, uh, together, between them, only one guaranteed year of salary. So you've got uh, to consider your future, and you've got to have that top-end talent. So McDonough has to figure out how he's going to do that. I am very skeptical that the Suns could move into the top three no matter what uh, because the demands to get into the top three are going to be too much for the Suns to say, yeah, but that's just still an 18-year-old rookie, uh, and we're ready to win 50, 55, 60 games next year. So, no, I don't see the Suns doing that. What I do see the Suns doing is flipping their picks for uh, some other veteran or uh, drafting just going ahead and drafting, maybe moving into the top 8, 9, 10 range. Um, so they have fewer rookies coming in, but maybe a little bit higher ceiling somebody. And then using their free agent dollars to sign somebody and see how the season plays out, holding most of their assets for a flip job like uh, Houston did a couple of years ago, waiting until October to get James Harden. You can't force other teams to give you top-end talent. They have to want to for some reason or another and uh, the, it's up to the Suns to wait until that moment arises. The very unfortunate thing for the Suns is that they moved too quickly, I think, already into the winning round. They lowered their draft pick too far by winning 48 games, and yet it's, as Jim alluded to, they uh, overplayed this year their supposed talent level, and so GMs are going to be skeptical that these Suns players can repeat their success next year or continue to grow at the same rate. So I think the Suns' assets are going to be a little undervalued. Uh, but you've got to wait. All it takes is one team needing to move one player. That could be Minnesota, and it might not be. So we just don't know. Um, but it's not a slam dunk that the Suns have the best bevy of assets in the league to make a move for a start. It really isn't. I'm going to throw the trump card at you guys. Neither of you guys have mentioned it. And I think, I don't want to say more so than Eric Bledsoe. I think it's probably on that same tier if we're going to rank Suns' assets. But the one thing that you guys haven't mentioned yet, that Lakers pick from next year. 
that could end up being a trump card that can maybe turn some conversations from why the you know why the expletive are you calling me and then dial tone to let's let's kind of broach this conversation dude is that lakers pick something that you even dangle to move up in this year's draft or is that something that you kind of hold on to and you covet uh, I, think I think personally, I'll go first, Jim. Um, I think personally, the uh, the Suns only trade that Lakers pick for an established veteran star. I don't see them using it to move up in this year's draft. Um, it's it's certainly possible if there's one guy they think they can really set the stage for the future. If they fall in love with Vonleh, or um, if they really love the medicals on Embed, uh, or somebody like that, maybe. Um, but really. Uh, that Lakers pick is, is kind of a wild card right now that could be their one chance to get a top 10 pick again uh, next year. And if they see next year's draft as, as solid, maybe that's what, that's what they do. I think it would have more value for them to move now, possibly. I believe that pick is top five protected. But, like Dave said, it is kind of a wild card because Los Angeles is most likely still going to have Kobe Bryant coming back next year. And it's hard to imagine that the team is going to be really that bad. You you figure they'd at least come close to fighting for a playoff spot. And if they did somehow manage to luck into, you know, being really bad, then that pick doesn't turn into anything from that end. But so it's almost like a situation where the uncertainty of it might help it be worth more now if you if you wait on it. it it's kind of like they said with the players on the roster they overplaying their value and now teams might be skeptical of giving you what was the fair market value based off of one season because they don't think that's going to be the long-term value i think in this case the opposite almost might be kind of true because just with some players you know you want to trade them before the deadline you hold on to them too long and they lose that value the Suns could be in a situation where they hold on to that, the, the draft next year. Some of these players that might fall away under the lottery aren't quite as good. The Lakers overperform a little bit, and that's at the very back end of the lottery, or somehow they even make the playoffs. And now that pick that kind of had some mystery and intrigue to it now becomes worth very little in the long run. So, well, I, I would I would expect no matter what, though, uh, going back on the worth very little, I unless you actually think the Lakers can turn around the worst cap situation and roster situation in the league potentially to uh, a conference finals team, the Lakers pick is very valuable for next year, especially if you assume the Suns are going to continue on their upward trend or at least stay steady and, uh, you know, have their own pick at best mid to late first round. The Lakers pick is this this piece of gold that um, is pretty well certain that is going to end up, uh, if the Suns do well, the Lakers pick is going to be better than theirs next year. If the Suns do poorly, then it doesn't matter if the Lakers pick is better, but it probably will still anyway. And then the Suns might have a couple lottery picks. So, no, I don't think the Lakers pick can fall too far next year, but it's certainly... Like Jim pointed out, it's not going to be top five. It'll, you know, it's got to be. Got to hope that they finish somewhere in the six to ten range. That's ideal. Well, Dave, once the clock strikes midnight, the Lakers payroll shrinks to about thirty-six million dollars. So it's not like they're if going they, to the next season with last year's squad. If they renounce 
just about everybody, and all they have is a 37-year-old Kobe Bryant and this year's draft pick on the team. What free agents are going to want to uh, buy you up there? I mean, there aren't any great free agents this summer anyway, unless they convince the Chris Bosch to come over. Which, why would he go there instead of staying, staying in Miami? And or if they convince the Carmelo, but the Carmelo's not going to go there either. That's why I think the Lakers are, are screwed, because their only drawing card is a 37-year-old guy coming off an Achilles problem that um, no one's ever really come back from. And the thing with the Lakers is that, and by no means do I think that they're going to turn it around in this on this level, but it was very similar to what Dallas did last year when they put together a patchwork team around Dirk and said, let's go out there and be okay enough, let's have players on the roster that we can just get rid of and absolve ourselves of to go get Dwight Howard, and then they didn't get Dwight Howard, then they had to patch together a roster. So the Lakers are in that same situation. They're in year two of, hey, we didn't get a star, we got to patch together a roster. So it all depends on, can Mitch Kupchak put together a roster around a guy like Kobe that makes this a team that can leapfrog not only the Suns, uh, but you have to try and leapfrog the Suns and Memphis, or the Suns and Dallas, the Suns and Golden State. So there's there's different layers. So that the Lakers, in whatever manner, they're going to be a lottery team because you're not going to be able to jump Minnesota, Phoenix, and then two other playoff or one other playoff team to get to the playoffs next year with Kobe Bryant, as you said, and a rookie and whatever they can add to their roster, which is very unlikely to be a star. So to bring us over back to the Suns again. Moving into the top three seems unrealistic, like you guys are saying there. It's You're going to have to give up something pretty valuable, and it kind of just depends on how the Suns value the pick. How realistic can you see in terms of the Suns potentially maybe using this pick to go get an established NBA player? We're not talking Kevin Love for the 14th pick, obviously, but either a package to go get a player like Kevin Love or using that 14th pick to maybe upgrade the three spot or to upgrade maybe the shooting, upgrade the defense, can this pick be valuable? Can you see it being maybe more of a trade asset? I think in conjunction with <laughs> I'll take that I think in conjunction with some of their other picks, they have the flexibility to do some of those things. If they want to move up a couple spots, packaging the fourteen and the eighteen or the fourteen and the twenty seven, I think that does give them some flexibility to do that. And Ryan McDonough has said that he wants to A, go for a star player and that it's pretty common knowledge that the Suns aren't going to add a, a bunch of rookies this year to the team. So I, I can see them definitely being very active. I, I'd be shocked, actually, if they stay at 14, 18, and 27 and select three players and keep them. So I, I definitely see that as an option. It will be... Interesting to see if they end up not being able to go after some kind of star player and make a big splash this summer, uh, how that's going to fill out the roster, whether they do try to make minor upgrades. And it's going to play into a cap situation moving down the line because they've made it pretty clear what their intention is. And if they can't do it this summer, then that just will be situationally that their hands were kind of tied, that the deal just wasn't there, because we know that's what they're looking for. So I I don't think that they're going to overextend and and reach for somebody like I heard Rudy Gay was something that was floated around, not, you know, in terms of, like, NBA rumors, but just a name that I kind of heard. And I, I don't see them doing something like that, so... I would expect to 
them to either make a big splash or kind of to say how Juan Babby likes keep their powder dry to, to really be looking forward and still being in asset collection mode. Yeah, I tend to agree with Jim on that. I think uh, if the Suns do anything, it won't just be with the 14th pick. I, I do see them moving up a little bit in the draft uh, with some combination of picks. Uh, they don't want to bring in four rookies next year, that's for sure. However, that doesn't mean they won't draft for it. If everything falls apart and really there's just no good deals out there, uh, they'll do what Houston did two years ago. Draft three guys in the first round they don't really need, but yet, hey, all of a sudden they have some good, more young talent to trade in that superstar trade going forward, including uh, they did actually move up a couple of spots to get ahead of the Suns and take Jeremy Lamb, which turned out to be the clincher on the Harden trade. So, or at least one part of the clincher, that was the rumor anyway, that Jeremy Lamb was the was the future prize of that of that deal. So, yeah, I, I see that same kind of thing happening. Uh, worst case, best case is Minnesota calls up Phoenix and says, hey, look, you get yourself into the uh, top ten range with your picks, and I'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and send Kevin Love to you if you give us a, if you give us a top ten pick back along with next year's Lakers pick or something like that. But then that's where I get antsy because Kevin Love's only got one year left on his contract. He could become a free agent. If the Suns give up all their best assets, their best future assets, even if it doesn't involve Dragic and Bledsoe, that's still too much to give up for one year. Maybe you can get Kevin Love to agree to opt in to his second year, uh, his because he can't opt out next summer. But if he picks up his player option for the 2015-16 season, then, yeah, maybe it's worth two years that you have to convince him. But you're riding everything on one year, everything going perfectly next year, and then him wanting to stay is is a, is a tough sell on giving away all your best assets. So um, having said all that, I don't know what McDonough's going to do. I know he wants to get a, a much more talented team out there next year with higher-end uh, talent at individual positions. Uh, right now they're a collection of pretty good talent. And uh, he, he wants to add to that, but he's not. I don't see him selling the farm to add that one talent. And it's almost like we kind of organized this podcast in advance. Um, disclaimer: didn't at all. Um, but with what you just said there, Dave, it, it funnels into exactly what I was going to talk about next. And I'll play a good version of the moderator when I ask this question, and I'll throw it to Jim first, and then we'll go to Dave <laughs> afterwards. Uh, I was very bad in the last two, as I noticed. When you're looking at the 14th overall pick and you want to maximize talent at each individual position, it's easy to look at the point guards and go, we're set there. Um, Amin talked about the different levels of how they're not necessarily set there long term, but what would be that individual position that you want to try and maximize the most in this NBA draft, whether it's the one, two, three, four, the five? What are you trying to maximize? What do you want to see this team improve on the most after draft night is over? Well, if the Suns are picking and they have guys ranked in tiers, basically, and they have a group and it's these five guys or these seven guys are about the the same in terms of where we generally slate them, so they don't have any clear definite advantage there, then I would like to see them go after a wing player, a, a small forward, uh somebody that can, you know, play the perimeter, defend that athletic, can a two-way player, the 
the team definitely needs more guys that, that are, are two-way players. That's really important in in the league nowadays. The, the Suns have had too many uh, teams in, in their history where they had guys that were one-way players or one-and-a-half-way players, a lot of offensive focus. So I, I would like them to upgrade that position, but I, I'm a firm believer in the the taking the best player on the board regardless of position, uh, especially I think with Ryan McDonough as the GM. I, I think that he can interchange a lot of these players, and the, the more talent you give him, it's the more cards in his hand that, that he can play, lay on the table, and make moves with. So I, I think that, that that's what he'll do, and that's, that's what i do. And if I was drafting for the Suns for him, I'd take the best player available just to try to give him the most talent possible to maximize his flexibility. Yeah, I'll tell you, McDonough um, is always setting a, a little bit of a track record for himself. Um, you don't know exactly who he picked in Boston or who was his biggest sells, other than the ones that came out last year when they were trying to sell him as a GM candidate, which obviously worked very well. Um, but he was he had lobbied that uh, Ray John Rondo was a top five talent. He had uh, uh, really lobbied for Avery Bradley and guys like that. And what? And then last year, what he did is he took the best available basketball talent at each one of his positions, uh, the fifth pick and the 29th pick. Uh, Alex Lynn was rated as the number one talent uh, by at least Draft Express, and that's the big one out there, um, as well as some uh, several other places. The Suns had already, according to John Gambadoro and also a uh, uh, a little comment uh, made by Robert Sarver at the draft last year that they had already taken Nolan's Noel off their board entirely. His knee was just too wrecked for them to want to worry about. And I tend to trust our training staff uh, to know the right and the wrong on, on whether somebody's got a good future or not. They said Alex Lynn's the most talented guy at the top of this draft that we had access to. And uh, they even had him at number one, even on their own board, according to that. And then down at the 29th pick, they picked another... Rondo Bradley type in Archie Goodwin, who has a chance to uh, be a very, very good player in the league if he puts all of his talent together. Uh, he's a two-way player, as Jim said. So is Alex Lynn, a two-way player. Um, so was Ray John Rondo. So was Avery Bradley. So, yes, I think Jim is um, 100% spot on that we're not going to see. And I, I do apologize uh, in advance. Uh, we've got a guy who goes to Creighton who writes for us. Uh, people may not may know him as Jacob Padilla, but really I think his name is Jacob Padilla. Uh, and he's going to want us to draft Doug McDermott, but I really don't see McDermott being um, a McDermott kind of guy. I think uh, it's got to be a two-way player. So, you know, you can probably take like a Rodney. I think it's Rodney Hood who's an offensive player as well. You probably take him off the board. Um Gary Harris is being projected to the Suns at 14 by Draft Express. He's a two-way player. Uh, I think the Suns would love to get someone like that who can play both ends of the court and get the most you know get the most talent they can at the position they're picking. Who can play both ends of the court and forget the position. So Christie starts us off with what position should they target? I say any position. If there's a two-way uh, point guard, I think there's a let me. This guy's name, uh, shoot, um, Alfred, I think, is the uh, point guard uh, that's rising, and uh, that's the kind of guy 
that the Suns may take lead in the first round because he's got two-way potential. Uh, so, uh, so we've got several several options here in the first round. I would take one trick ponies off the Suns board if I was a, a Suns fan wondering who the Suns are going to pick. So, first off, apologies out there to the entire Louisiana Lafayette community, Alfred Payton and his family. Um, Alfred, as Dave, as Dave was alluding to. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> is, uh, Alfred okay. Payton. I was looking at, I was yeah. looking on the uh, draft express list and I couldn't find his name right away. Sorry yeah. about that. Uh, no, no, no. And, and you're, and you're right. He's a kid that, you know, he played USA basketball and definitely dynamic two-way player. And it's funny because people are going to go, oh, who's Alfred Payton? They're going to look at him up and they're going to see that he pretty much runs the point guard. You know, he's a bigger point guard, 6'3 and change. But when you go back, listen to last week's podcast with Amin Al-Hassan, and it's all about not necessarily what impacts the team next year, but these moves and these draft picks are made to project, hey, what's going to happen with the Goran-Eric situation? Goran might cash in on his potential and get a big deal and be gone next year. Eric might be a trade asset that's gone. We might have to work out. And there's also the backup point guard minutes, which Ish Smith was tremendous with last year, but you can always improve in certain areas, and I think that they can improve in that area as well. So when you see the Suns looking at players, I completely agree with you, two-way players. We heard Steve Kerr on the broadcast last night talk about, and it's kind of ironic that he's going to the Golden State Warriors to be their head coach, but that two-way players are the kinds that he wants, and he wants guys that can maximize their potential on both ends of the floor. They can do things on both ends of the floor, and that's clearly a Ryan McDonough philosophy. It's something that Coach Hornacek takes advantage of. And you want to give him as many bullets in his gun there. So you guys both sidestep the question with best player available in terms of position you'd like to improve. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just answer, and I think that no slight on P.J. Tucker, but I think that this team could definitely improve being able to get that two ways we talked about impact from the 2-3 position to be able to get a guy that not only is just a, a corner streak shooter like P.J., and a great rebounder and defender, but maybe someone that can give you a little bit more on the offensive end. The Suns really got torched a lot of times from that 2-3 position of guys that were just able to you know, collectively score more points and be able to help their teams against the Phoenix Suns. As great as P.J. is and as much as we love him on the roster, it, they could definitely improve offensively from that position, I would say. Well, I think that's probably right. But you know what? If a playing power forward uh, potential like uh, one of my favorites is Adrian Payne, is available at 14, I would take him uh, as a higher overall, in my opinion, uh, better prospect. But you know what? My opinion doesn't matter. No one's opinion matters except Ryan McDonough and his staff and who they think the best potential guys are. Payne might be a little bit too old for a typical uh, McDonough draft pick, at least from what we've seen. He went for the youngest guys last year. Bradley, uh, Bradley was young, and so was um, uh Rajon Rondo, so who knows if Kane is, is already off the board because of his age, but certainly you go for the best overall talent. But, yeah, if you've got two guys right next to each other who are equal talents, um, go for the small forward over the power forward, sure. Yeah, and, and one topic that Suns fans love a lot is Kevin Love. So to kind of close out your point on Adrian Payne, they might already have him off the board when you consider the Nerlens Noel theory of medical red flags and we're just not going to draft a guy because of that. Then you compile his age and, and all those fun things. But definitely a player that will be able to impact now, maybe not necessarily long-term, has that glass ceiling because of his age. But, Jim, I want to slide it over to you. Kevin Love is a topic that Suns fans love to talk about, love to go over and banter about. And uh, when it comes to that scenario and that situation, 
looking at the Suns roster, seeing what it costed teams to get James Harden and Dwight Howard and those different, uh, you know, Carmelo Anthony, those trades that happened, do the Suns even have the assets? Would this need to be a three-team trade? What are your overall thoughts on a potential Kevin Love move? Because the NBA draft is the new dynamic trade deadline. That's when all the big moves, for the most part, happen is on draft night. Yeah, it's kind of hard to, to see it happening without it being a three-team trade because I think what they do covet most is a high draft pick this year, and the Suns don't have that to offer. Now, the Suns could offer some kind of package that still has, has a lot going for it with something like Alex Len, Marquise Morris, the 14-18, the Lakers pick next year, and suddenly you have a, a plethora of assets going there, but it just depends on whether that's exactly what they're looking for. The Suns' best talent is at the point guard and the Timberwolves' best remaining talent if they do uh, acquiesce to Love's request and then send them off would, would be at that same position. So that's where it gets hard. And once you involve the, the third team, if you can get a, a player in a different position that they like, then maybe that becomes something to where you know the Suns can send Bledsoe somewhere, uh, sign and trade, after the deadline, something like that, and the third team ships a player that the Timberwolves want, and the Suns get love in that type of scenario, or if you can figure out some way for the Suns to to move up and and trade to a, a third team and and crack into that top five somehow, then that gives them that kind of asset there. The, the teams at the top, Cavs, Bucks, Sixers, Magic, Jazz, but it's just, it doesn't seem like any of those teams is that close to competing. And other than really, like I said, the Cavs, which might be interested in trying to compete sooner rather than later because of the Kyrie Irving dynamic, I don't see a lot of urgency for any of those teams up at the top. So it, it is, it's a, a pretty complicated scenario because the, the, the one thing that the Timberwolves don't want to be is embarrassed a year or two down the line. And the, the GM there says, shows that he got little or nothing for, for sending out his superstar, especially when Minnesota's now got this kind of track record where they had to get rid of Garnett because they couldn't keep him and build a winner around him. And now they have to get rid of Kevin Love because they can't keep him and build a winner around him. And so what's that going to say for, for the next young, talented player that they get? Am I the only one that would have paid cash money to be in the room and hear Kevin, uh, to hear the guys over there t- tell Kevin Love I, I disinclined to acquiesce to your request? Am I the only one? <laughs> I love that line. That was one of my favorite lines. I was going to say, for the seven people that got that reference. Um, so, Dave, like, what are your thoughts overall on the Kevin Love? We Most people know my thoughts on the Kevin Love, which is the polar opposite of every other Phoenix Suns fan, so we'll let the positive comments come from you guys what are your overall thoughts on Kevin Love and, and your thoughts on it actually happening? Sure. Okay. Well, you know, I'm kind of in the same boat as Jim, and if I wanted to, I could spend the next five minutes concocting a no-name scenario in which the Suns end up with Love. There's nothing obvious. There really isn't. Uh, the Suns' best players are at positions that Minnesota will still have, which is point guards and centers. 
Um, so, you know, as far as prospects and, and uh, you know, talent. Um, so really, and then why would you trade Kevin Love or Marquise Morris if you don't get anything else better out of it? Is That's why I see a really hard one-to-one matchup. But it could happen. It could be that the uh, Wolves decide, hey, look, it's time to dump it. Um, so let's get the best we can. And really all the names of teams out there all have holes in their, in their stable of, of assets that won't be able to give the Wolves everything they want. So who knows, maybe the Suns will come out on top. However, uh, going back to just Kevin Love, period, as a player, I've talked about this off and on for the last couple of years, and, and I generally get a lot of pushback on it, but he's, he's a one-way player. And if you actually believe in, well, okay, so if you, if you consider basketball as like three-dimensional, one dimension being offense, another dimension being rebounding, and a third dimension being defense, which is completely different than rebounding, by the way, and, and maybe a fourth dimension being blocks, but let's just stay with the first three. Offense, defense, and rebounding. Kevin Love does two of them very, very well. He doesn't do the third. He doesn't do defense. And, uh, you know, you'd have to put a really talented uh, defensive center next to him to be successful. One of the reasons Minnesota can't win games is because they don't have a great defender uh, at center. They have basically the Kevin Love version of a center and uh, Nikola Pekovic there who played most of the minutes uh, last couple of years because he can score. And he can rebound, but neither of them is really great positional defenders. One of the greatest things, uh, one of the reasons San Antonio has been in the playoffs for 18, is it 18, maybe 19 consecutive years, and they're going to go to their sixth finals, is because Tim Duncan was just a, a dancer on the court. He didn't jump very high, uh, but he his feet, he could put his feet anywhere he wanted to to get to a defensive position and score and do all that. Um, and Kevin Love is not that player. So um, I'm not totally thinking that Kevin Love is going to make the Suns a contender. He'll certainly make the Suns a contender in the nation's eyes. The Suns will get on TV all the time. They'll get endorsements. They'll get commercials. They'll make a ton of money. Fans will come to the games. Everything will be raucous. But that doesn't mean the Suns are going to get much further than they already have. So... Um, I'm I'm a little bit of a skeptic on saying Kevin Love is the answer to all of our all of our prayers. Goes back to the two way player conversation we had before, and look, when you're a great rebounder, that the reason you're getting rebounds is because you sell out defensive positioning and you're selling out a lot of the different little things that you need to do. That it, it ends up helping you gobble up a lot of rebounds. Like no one's knocking Kevin Love. Like he's a depending on your take on the on the guy as a player, he's top fifteen to twenty NBA player. Some people throw him in the top ten because. He gets those random 40 and 20 games, and it gets you super excited. But he's not the only one out there. We've heard names like Thaddeus Young being thrown around that the Suns could potentially target another, you know, would Markeith Morris plus pick, you know, equal a Thaddeus Young? Does that make the Suns better? Of the, like, the random rumors, the players that are out there and available, some names you might have heard about down the gossip lines, you know, starting with Jim, and we'll shift back over to Dave. What are some of the, the rumors and gossip mill things that either make you laugh or kind of make you a little bit intrigued? What I'm still interested to see is, like you talk about the, the gossip and rumors, but what Ryan McDonough can do with more of his pyramid scheme train, uh, trading. Because I don't think any of us really saw that he was going to turn Jared Dudley and a second-round pick into Eric Bledsoe. 
And so then you, you trade up there. And so what can you flip Eric Bledsoe for? Or what young talent that's kind of off the radar, somebody that isn't in that rumor mill, is going to end up on the Suns roster? And some of the, the, the stuff even I was hearing earlier on the radio today, that they were going back through it. And, for instance, when the Suns traded for Gerald Green, that that wasn't somebody that they thought was going to come out and perform like this, that he was just kind of came out of nowhere, that they, they weren't expecting that from him. It was just a, an added bonus. So he's made so much happen with you know, sending out little and the, the rewards that have come back. So I, I don't know about the, the rumor mill stuff that's out there in terms of that. I think that that'll probably pick up a lot more once the, the draft gets a little bit closer. And so what I'm a lot more intrigued about is the stuff that I haven't heard anything about with the Suns than the stuff that I have. Yeah, I mean, if we want to go with big uh, name free agents, there aren't a lot out there that are really intriguing. I mean, you could say that, and you, and you could rightly say that Lou Aldain would be a great addition to the Suns. He's not an awesome three-point shooter, but he is a two-way player. He can play small forward. He can play, play uh, small ball power forward. And he's a, he's a very good locker room guy. Um, so definitely contributing to the winning culture and uh, doing the little things to win games, he, he would be a guy. Uh, and if you can get him for 8 to $10 million a year uh, for two or three years, I think that'd be great. So, I mean, it's quite possible that Lou Aldain won't get any blow-away offers and he'll end up being, uh, uh, oh, geez, it just slipped my mind. Paul Millsap, yeah. He could end up being a Paul Millsap-type contract where it's two years for $20 million, and all of a sudden he not only is he a great player for you, but he's also a great trade asset. Uh, so there's that. Um, the other thing, you know, and I've never really liked him that, that well at all is Trevor Ariza, but he is a great two-way player um, as far as not top end, you know, top 50, top 100 NBA players, but certainly he brings more than P.J. Tucker does um, to a team, so I think he would be a very good addition as well. I just hope, and I'm pretty sure they will, but I I hope the Suns will stay away from uh, fool's gold guys or guys who could come in and actually hurt the locker room a little bit um, because they're so... uh, more uh, in, in love with their own game than than they are in love with delivering uh, during games. But I don't I don't see the Suns doing that. I see what Jim says is uh, McDonough's going to bring in some under the radar guys who feel like they have something to prove, not bring in guys who think they've already proved it all and now they just need to collect the paycheck. So I'm, I'm intrigued by the summer as well. Yeah, it's it's more with this team substance over style. I like that you bring up a guy like Trevor Ariza who's kind of a low end version of a player that I, I'm sure would fit in well here with like Aaron Aflalo of Orlando, where he's got another year on his contract. But you know those kind of players, right? They might be able to switch positions. They play both ends. They shoot the ball pretty well, uh, and, and kind of add to the culture. You never hear any bad things about those kind of guys. But yeah, I mean, in terms of like free agency, that makes a lot of sense. And then you have the draft where you have three first round picks and one in the second. You have the Lakers pick to play around with next year. You have Eric Bledsoe, who's as much, for all intents and purposes, he's a Phoenix Sun as long as they want him to be because of the restricted free agency, but you have that card you can play as well as the Goran Dragic card you can play. He's on one of the best bargain contracts in the NBA. So no one, we're not trying to fire or sell the Suns roster, and we're not trying to say we want all these guys gone, but the moral of the story is 
Ryan McDonough has created a lot of equity in the moves that he's made before. He's definitely come out on the positive side on all the moves that he's made so far, which gives him the opportunity now to you know maybe take a big swing and maybe be able to do something very dynamic that can change the team from being you know almost a 50 win team that just missed the playoffs to an actual contender you know out here in the western conference so that's yeah that's, okay. yeah, that's, that's kind of you mentioned Cortasa free agent he could make yeah. a there <laughs> yeah that can make a boomerang back over here to phoenix right um but he's polish not australian so he's, he's not necessarily going to boomerang back over here uh, but no, that's that's pretty much what all the I got. Polish boomerang, do. Yeah, there you go. He's the Polish hammer, not the Polish boomerang. That's that's pretty much all I got, guys. We we ran pretty long here because the podcasts have been more or less infrequent as of late. But um, parting shots, you know, Dave, and then we'll go Jim. Do you guys have any parting shots for the for the Brightsiders? All right, me first. Uh, let's see. As a parting shot, I hope Brightsiders are not too disappointed by the outcome of this lottery. Uh, you really can't expect a lot when you have a one point. 7% chance of, of moving up. We should just be happy that the Suns have three first-round picks, and then McDonough has uh, a little handful of uh, tricks in his, in his bag that uh, he can he can play at any point this summer, and it'll most likely be a surprise to us. So just look forward to having a good summer. And I am just really looking forward to seeing who Cleveland manages to pick with that first overall pick this year, see if they can just pull a, another rabbit out of their hat like they did with last year's pick. And not to maybe sound like too much of a misogynist, but I'm really kind of digging what a couple of the teams did this year with the female representatives they sent to the lottery selection show. So I think that that should become uh, a new thing for all 14 teams because I'd, I'd much rather see that than more of Marquise Morris and Dr. J. Oh, what about Dan, Dan Gilbert's kid, though? I mean, we, we we should have him back there, too. Yeah, where was Robert Sarver's kids at? Uh, we we got to get uh, we got to get more more kid representation up there on on the podium there. It it doesn't matter. It says whatever Dan Gilbert does, it brings him luck. It's the the curse of losing LeBron. You get numerous 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 picks and so many chances to kind of patch up that old wound. But that'll that'll. Yeah, I feel up. so. Yeah, <laughs> I feel so sorry for Dan Gilbert. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and if Robert Tarver, if Robert Tarver doesn't have a hot daughter to send to the lottery show, then maybe he can get Donald Sterling's next mistress or something. There you go, and we had to have a Donald Sterling reference on here, right? We talked about Kobe for no reason, so we had to randomly mention <laughs> Donald Sterling. Well, that that wraps it up, episode 56. We'll be back with more leading up to the NBA draft, but for Dave, for Jim, the three-man weave is over. The ball probably hit the ground way too many times. We never even made it to the basket. I'm still wondering why Jim is wearing these short shorts, and we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening, guys.